episode 200 of the Bev and James Isle Show, an interview with nutritionist Claudia Wilson. Radio team, welcome along to episode 200 of the Bevan James I'll Show, your fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of exercise so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. Well, it's just about it's about four days before Christmas here in New Zealand in 2020. Uh, I know some people listen to this into the future, but we're coming into Christmas. It's my last day of work. I'm actually releasing this after Christmas, but I'm recording it before Christmas, and I'm pretty excited today because, A, it's episode 200, and I've been doing the show... I think for over 10 years, I think I talked about this in the last episode, uh, two, I, I, it's not a weekly show, so or not even two times a week, so 200 shows is a bit of a landmark in this show, um, I'm really proud of the show, I'm, I try really hard to create content that actually helps people and get people on who can actually help people, and the feedback I get from you guys about the show is always really great, so I uh, thank you for being my audience, thank you for being a part of this thing that I do, because uh, I really, you know, I really want to help people in life, and the fact that you listen to the show shows me that I'm obviously getting something right, so I appreciate you being a listener of my show over the years. Today, today I have an interview with a lovely lady called Claudia Wilson, Claudia Wilson has written a book called One Two Punch, she is one of those people who's a bit of a brainiac, really, because let's, let's, let's look into her stats. She's a registered nutritional a dietitian nutritionist. So, uh, she's been on the board, certified, specialised in sports nutrition. She's a strength and conditioning specialist trainer. Uh, she's got a bachelor degree in public health. Uh, she's got a master's degree in nutrition, and she's got an, with an emphasis on sports nutrition and eating disorders. And she's recently brought out a book called One Two Punch. Now, I've got to be honest, on this show... Nutrition isn't a subject that I cover a lot uh, because this show is more about the behaviours of health, a healthy lifestyle. And uh, normally I don't tend to get nutrition into it because it's kind of oh, yeah, opening. Claudia actually says in the interview that what is it, religion, politics and nutrition is kind of what you don't talk about at a party. And it's a bit like that nowadays. And I don't want to get the water mucked up with kind of what to eat and stuff like that. But Claudia's written this really great book called One Two Punch. And I've got to be honest, I hadn't read the book before I did the interview because I kind of arranged the interview and then I didn't, Claudia didn't actually send me the book until after the interview, but I finished reading the book this morning and I really liked it. Um, and I'm going to talk a bit a bit more detail around some of her messaging in the book because because I hadn't read the, the book before the interview. We kind of just had a good conversation and you're going to see pretty quickly that a few things. A, Claudia is very passionate and kind of very... Uh, She's got a beautiful energy. She's just a lovely person. Um, so she's got this really great energy that she brings to it. Obviously, she understands the, the intellectual side of this topic. But what she's done really well in this book is she's packaged healthy eating and weight management and food in this really simple system that I think is really understandable and really achievable for every type of person out there. And it works in no matter what kind of food rules you have around like be it that you eat everything be it that you're vegetarian vegan or whatever um it works within everyone's lifestyle 
and there's just some really great stuff in there. So after I've done the interview, I'm just going to do a quick wrap up of her book because I just think that after reading it, I kind of wish I had read it before we did the interview, but um, I still think there's lots of value in the interview because she's just one of those people who's got amazing insight. So I'm going to do the and put the interview up first, and then at the end of the show, I'm just going to do a quick wrap up of her book. Now, her book, you can get it on her website, and her website is one two punchbook.com and the word one and two are spelt out so it's o-n-e-t-o-w or t-w-o so it's not the numbers one two it's the letter it's the spelling of the word one two punchbook.com but i'll also put a link to it in the show notes so you can just go to the show notes and get it from there uh before i get into the main just the show i do want to say a big thank you to the patrons actually i just before i get into it and I've talked about this on the show in the past, but I thought it's a really good challenging question to put to you guys at this moment in the year, because it is that holiday season where a lot of us will do some reflection. We are heading into the summer season, and around the new year, well, in New Zealand, the summer season, if you're in America or the you know, Northern Hemisphere, you're heading into winter, but if we are thinking about the New Year's period where we often do, do some self-reflection around our life, a good question I want you to ask yourself at this moment in your year, especially as you are thinking about moving towards next year, is who gets the worst of you? Who gets the worst of you? If we do move into the, the new year and we do think about we want to make some change in our life, and let's be honest, we know that most New Year's resolutions don't really create change. Uh, and there's lots of reasons for that. But I just think this is a really good question for you to be working on in life. Who gets the worst of you? And the answer to the question, is that the person you want to get the worst of you? Or are those the people that you want to get the worst of you? I know for me, when I was doing Ironman Triathlon, I asked myself that question, and it made me realize that my partner, who I'd just recently broken up from, and my daughter were getting the worst of me in my life. When I went to the gym talk classes, they got a great version of me, my sport got a great version of me, but ultimately my daughter and my partner at the time kind of got the tired version of me. And luckily for me, that was one of the reasons I moved away from doing Ironman because I realized my daughter is more important than my sport and my daughter should be getting a better version of me. And so I just wanted to throw that question at you because it's such a confrontational question, isn't it? It's such a hard question to have to confront, especially when the answer is the people who are meant to be the most important people in your life. So as you do use this time of the year, which tends to be a reflection time for many of us in our lives, Maybe that's a good leading question for you to ask yourself. And then if you are going to create some change in next year, maybe that's where you want to create some change. Because if you do identify, hmm, these are the people that do get the worst of me, what do I need to change about my life that makes sure that they get a better version of me? Because ultimately, if those people are the most important people in your life, you kind of want them to get the best of you, don't you? So I'm just kind of throwing that out at you. Something to think about. Uh, if you want to become a patron of this podcast, go to Bevan James Oz, click on podcast, click on support me. You go to the Patreon page. You'll go through the process of donating some of your money my way. Now the process is you go to that page, you donate as little or as much as you want. There's a number on the page. It doesn't matter. It's how much you want to donate to the show. When you do, you get a cool Bevan James Oz show nickname. And these people are some of the people who are patrons of the show. Brittany, Mystic McKeechan, we've got Greg the Python Crowley, uh, we've got Luke Mayhem Miller, we've got Pip Silent Assassin Langford, we've got Kate. 
The Perfect One Southern and Robbie Big Shot Allen. These people are all amazing patrons of the show. If you want to become a patron of the show, again, just go to my website, look up uh, podcasts, support me, and go from there. Anyway, let's get into Claudia Wilson, the publisher of the book One Two Punch. Okay, Tim, I'm very excited to have a lovely lady by the name of Claudia Wilson. I've been speaking to her for about two minutes, and you're going to establish pretty quickly. She's pretty passionate, and she said to me, Bevan, I, I always get back to the point, but this is going to have to be a long way around it. Welcome to the show. It's good to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. So, so just before we start, just give us a little bit of your background. Okay. I am a registered dietitian nutritionist in the United States. I have a master's degree in foods and nutrition, and I'm also a board certified uh, sports nutritionist, as well as a certified strength and conditioning specialist. I know that's a mouthful. Uh, the initials and the credentials are obnoxious, uh, but I did work very hard for them. <laughs> well deserved. So let, let, let's dig into this because I kind of wouldn't mind talking about a few things around kind of for athletes and, and obviously maybe a bit more triathletes, but but also just for your everyday person. And one of the things we see with athletes is this kind of performance nutrition, but then yes. also they have the you know, they want the image. They, you know, a lot of female triathletes, for example, it, they get into the sport as a weight loss journey. Um, and yeah. sometimes they often don't get that journey through the amount of exercise that they're doing. So I suppose when we think about, let's look at the performance thing, when we think about nutrition as a performance thing, what's the approach and mindset that an athlete needs to have? So I believe that an athlete needs to, and I, and I want your listeners to hang on, I, I believe that an athlete needs to have a similar attitude as a regular person that's not exercising, and that is <clears throat> to tune into what their body is telling them. Yes, all your listeners that are athletes and triathletes know that there are certain times that scientifically, you know, you need fuel, um, but your hunger signals aren't there. And those would be times that we eat, even though we're not feeling hungry, but even my pro athletes, even my top level triathletes, I want to fine tune what their metabolism and their body is telling them. That's the approach that we need to take. And instead not, not, you know, completely opposite of, but instead of following a template saying, eat at this time, do this, do this, do this, do this. What is your body telling it that it needs? What is your body telling you that you need? If I can get into someone's metabolism um, and find out what their metabolism is telling them and their body signals are telling them versus a template that we might follow, we are actually setting them up to perform better because they're performing within their own system instead of performing, you know, for a set template, set system. So within that, you know, because, you know, there's levels of experience. How do you learn that? You know, because I, I get what you're saying. It's this kind of thing of um, listen to your feedback loops, understand when you're lacking energy, when you have energy, when, you know, those kind of just basic things like, do you feel hungry and so on? Um, instead of just kind of going, at this time I ate this thing because this is the formula. Yeah. But but how do we learn to trust that and how do we learn to know what the triggers are? Is it, is it very basic, just like we listen to hunger or is it? 
You know, it depends, Bevan. It depends on the person. For some people, um, and for you, the study's behavior, it is very basic. You know, eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full, listening to those feedback loops, as you said. But for other people, it is so, so, so complicated. If someone has been following a regimen for a long time, um, and, and you'd be surprised at the amount of clients that come in of all ages. And I say, when is the last time you felt hungry? They actually don't know. And I ask them why they're eating breakfast at that time, why they're eating lunch at that time, why they're eating dinner at that time. They actually don't know. So it depends on someone's level of self-awareness, of body awareness. For some, it can be that basic, you know, Listen to your body. When is it telling you it's hungry? When is it telling you it's full? But for other people, it's very difficult, which is one of the reasons I'm just going to slip it in here. One of the reasons I wrote the book with all the visuals is because people have a hard time. People who aren't used to it have a hard time. Well, well how do I do that? You're, you're telling me it's basic. You're saying eat when you're hungry, eat when you feel hungry, you know, stop when you're full. Some people have no idea and they don't know where to start. So I create a visual of if, if you treated your stomach as an incinerator, right, with uh, incinerator doors, when the doors are open, your incinerator is burning and going to use anything that you put into it. And you and I both know, and all your listeners know, oh my goodness, you know, religion, politics, and nutrition, those are the most polarized subjects, <laughs> I think, I think on the planet. I'm not talking about specifically what, although I'm going to come back to that, but let's just start with the basics. You know, your incinerator doors are open. Anything you put in is going to be burned. Anything, whether it's crap or whether, whether it's really healthy. And then I guide readers and listeners through um, all the different sensations that you might have to learn um, to detect your physical hunger. So to answer your question, yes, it can be that basic for some people, but for some people, it's just not that basic. And there's a whole section called burn in, in the book that walks you through, how do I, how do I tell, how do I tell the difference between hunger and maybe anxiety or, you know, acid reflux or, <laughs> or something else? So are you saying that, so are you an advocate of a very routine diet or, or again, is it very much kind of just depending on the day and how you're feeling? Like how do you kind of work around that? I think that it depends on the person. I think every human, every human system falls into a routine. So if you are falling into a routine of sleep, if you're falling into a routine or creating a routine of exercise, then your hunger and fullness is going to fall into the same routine too. If somebody is starting from complete scratch, they have no idea when they're hungry and, and can't really detect fullness, uh, their system might be out of whack and we have to go a long time before they get hungry on a regular basis, but then they fall into a rhythm of, of routine. Uh, and I think if people allow themselves the space and the openness to feel that, then they do get in, they do get into a routine. So are you saying hunger is a good thing? I think hunger is a good thing. I think, yes, I think, I think hunger is a good thing because it is our body's way of telling us that we need fuel. 
So we have so much science, which is amazing. It's so amazing. It has, it has really improved the field of athletic performance, exponentially improved, you know, athletic performance. We love that, but our bodies, our human systems, this is why I'm fascinated with the human body. They're already equipped to tell us, Hey, you need fuel. We need fuel here. We're, we're running out. Come on. You know, and if, and if we let it, our bodies will tell us. Mm. So I think hunger is a good thing. I think it's, you bring up a really interesting point about it being good versus bad. Uh, Some people are very afraid to feel it. Mm. Uh, And, and athletes that are worried about having fuel on board might be worried about being hungry because, you know, then it's a missed opportunity of fueling. And so some athletes might think, Oh, I, I can't get hungry. And, and dieters, you know, if you read the magazines, uh, to hook someone into uh, the covers of magazines, to hook someone onto a diet, it's do this and you'll never be hungry. It's like, oh, God forbid you get hungry, you know? Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it is interesting when you think of the marketing of a diet, isn't it? It's very much kind of like you don't have to sacrifice um, to achieve the outcome you want. Yes. And and maybe inherent in getting hungry is is maybe that you're sacrificing, but it's it's to me, it's a signal. It's a signal. Yeah. It's a signal. signal. And so I suppose on top of that then it's is learning how to respond to that signal in ways that's healthy for you. Exactly. Exactly. And you and I talked before we, before we hit, you know, record, uh, about the nutritionists that you've had on and all the different ways, again, religion, politics, and nutrition, all the different ways that someone can eat. And I think that's a very, very personal decision. There's, uh, and it's very individual. What works for one triathlete is not going going to work for another triathlete. Mm -hmm. And there's so many individual preferences. That's why, I love my job because it's so, each person is so unique, uh, but within getting hungry and, and reaching fullness, you know, there's a wide variety of things that you can do that work for you. Uh, and, and my book is wide open. You can, you can, uh, be vegan. You can be a carnivore. You can do whole 30, you can do paleo, you can do anything, but there's, but there's a balance that I believe is valuable uh, that I, that I, I'll, I'll say I prescribe, but it's really left up to the individual. So, so ultimately what you're saying is for everyday people really is your journey is to figure out your formula, um, and, and the way that both physiologically and kind of mentally works for you or psychologically works for you as well. So that you, uh, maintaining a healthy body mass, you're mentally don't, cause one thing I always, and you listen to the show, would have heard me talk about this is this thing of, I think one of the biggest problems around diet nowadays is people just think about food too much and not in food as in like a, I need to eat cause I'm, you know, self-sabotaging just so much of their time thinks about food. And I, I always just think if I'm spending half my life thinking about food, what a waste of my life, you know, like it's, you know, like food is a function in my life and I enjoy eating, but I want to spend time connecting with people, growing, doing all this other important stuff in life. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so it's a, so ultimately you're, you're saying is that your journey is to, to learn your formula and to, to experiment to figure out what that is? Yes. You bring up a really interesting point. I, I believe, <clears throat> strongly believe that that's why traditional diets, and I'm using air quotes, yeah. um, diets 
don't work uh, for lots of reasons, but it's because when you are focusing on the food, like you said, thinking too much about food, when you are focusing on the diet, that is your life. Mm. You, that's the life. And, and what you thought was your life is going on in the periphery. Mm. And we want to flip that and have you live, live your life with food in the background, supporting that life. Yeah. It's interesting because I've never, I've, I've, I've got a very good food routine. Um, I, you know, I've just, I know how to manage my food really well. Um, and it is just something I have in my life. But I remember when paleo first came first thing was first time I tried a diet. It's, so I'll give it a try for like, and I literally gave up after three days because I just found I was thinking about food all the time, you know, and it was, yes. yeah, it was really fascinating. And it was just like, yeah. I felt it was just really consuming. It was really overwhelming and how much it owned my space. Yeah. Exactly. And I tell people, um, and, and athletes as well. Um, so I tell regular people, what happens when you are focusing food, focusing on food and focusing on a diet is even, even if you are making healthy behavioral changes for yourself, there is an amount of stress in trying to follow that, that then is in your body and increasing your cortisol levels, mm. which, which we don't want. So it's more stressful for you to try to keep track of that. And we don't want that. Life is stressful enough, especially now. Life is stressful enough. You know, we, we want food to be in the background, but so we want you not to have to track, not to have to measure, not to have to weigh, not to have to count your grams. There is absolutely a way to detect your hunger, detect your fullness, balance what you're having so that you don't have sugar spikes and drops. Um, there's absolutely a way to do that. And for, and, and that's for regular people, for athletes, I always talk to them about the energy, the mental focus, the physiological, what's happening physiologically, but the psychological focus that is going into following a diet, following a regime that we could be putting into their performance. So there's some of that. I hope this is making sense. No, no, I, some- I, you, what you're saying is that you're spending all this time on food. We're actually, you should be putting this on your training and actually delivering on yes. the, the objectives of your training. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So some of that passion, some of that just, you know, adrenaline rush passion that we could be putting into their performance and their training and their practice, you know, is being, taken away, we don't even realize it's being taken away, but it's being taken away and siphoned into following a diet, Mm. you know, and, and I want to change that for them. I want them to go all in on their performance and, and practice and training and feel it with their whole body and soul. That's why, that's why they're doing it. That's why, you know, Athletes are athletes. Um, and I want to take the pressure off food so that it's not the focus. So there's a couple of questions I have around this. First of all, a lot of people are always looking for an answer because they don't trust, um, you know, the, the, you know, yeah. maybe they're not happy with their body or their performance. Yeah. And so, so there's not this kind of trust. So first of all, I probably two questions I have. First one is when is someone there? Like, so, you know, you're talking a lot about this kind of, you want to get people to understand how they work, how to use their feedback loops to really make really good choices. And so food is just a good part of your life, but actually not consumption of your life. When you when the client has got to the place where you think it's a healthy place for them, how do you know they're there? So I'll bring up an example of a client that I've been working with recently. Um, uh, she is... Uh, I guess by definition, uh, an emotional eater, 
um, and an overeater. So she is using food to cope with her emotions and her stress. Stress, I think, is a ubiquitous term for every emotion under the sun, <laughs> especially especially negative emotions. So we first had to identify that that was happening, that when she, so we worked, you know, for a long time talking about what leads up to you opening the cupboard, opening the fridge, going into the kitchen, seeking out food. So what's leading up to that? And also you've got to check in and ask yourself, are you hungry? So she started doing that and was very ready, very ready to be vulnerable and, and started telling me, okay, now I'm starting to see it. I'm going into the kitchen. I'm asking myself if I'm hungry. I know what my physical signs of hunger are now. I'm not doing that, but I'm still seeking the food. And I said, okay, we're just going to keep, we're just going to keep working. So she kept seeking the food, kept seeking the food. And then she started to identify the emotions that were there before she sought out the food. So the first in, in the journey of when the client arrives and is there is first, you've got to recognize the why why you're seeking out that particular behavior. And even though she had identified the why, the behavior didn't change. But the behavior started to change after she sat with the why and then noticed what was happening when she was eating, why she needed it, why she was using it to cool down, cool off, calm, soothe. And then after a while, she still continuing through with the behavior it started to take the edge off of what she was feeling, meaning that it didn't quite give her the high that it did before. Now she was fully aware of why she was going into a behavior and in the behavior, fully aware. Yep, I've got the bag open. I'm eating the chips. I know exactly what I'm feeling. I feel rejected. I'm stressed about my son. I'm feeling all these things. Um, but now that she was aware, it didn't have the same calming effect. And then we just kept going. And it was almost like, I know this is going to sound cheesy and maybe extreme, but it's almost like she started having an out of body experience. Like now I see myself getting stressed and eating the chips and, and see that's happening. And then it started to change. And now she's at a point that I think she's arrived. Now arrival is I know when I'm feeling stressed versus hunger. I know when I'm seeking out food and why I'm seeking out food. Um, and I know that I can choose to sit with this really intense, uncomfortable feeling without mm -hmm. having the food. But arrival doesn't mean that sometimes you still don't do it. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So but she's fully aware. So so arrival and when they're there is they are fully aware of what they're doing. And I like to say, once you know, you can't unknow. You can mm, still follow yeah. through the, with the behavior, but you know exactly what's going on. Yeah, yeah. You, you, so you develop deep sense of awareness of the journey you go through. Yeah. And so then you can make better choices in the, with those moments. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so and then with so then with with athletes. That, but they might argue, I need the food because I'm going to train so much. Yep. So what do you do in yep. that situation? So in that situation, 100% agree. You do need the food be, because you train so much. But again, coming back to that point I made earlier, I want, we want to create 
a plan, if you will, a plan for you that you are fueling your system when your system is asking for it. So if your system is asking for it at, you know, 1 p.m. and the template says 12 p.m., I think we want to wait and we want to feed the system at 1 p.m. instead of 12 p.m. Yes, absolutely. You need the fuel. And then if I was working with an athlete, we, I'm really trying to um, uncover and detect uh, their hunger pattern. So have them be aware of their hunger pattern um, and their fullness pattern and me be aware of their hunger and fullness pattern. And then the times that maybe we think that they need fuel even though they're not hungry. So athletes are a little bit different in that, that exercise can sometimes, and the hours afterwards, as you know, can sometimes suppress the appetite. Um, So the appetite, the desire for food is suppressed, even though the need for fuel is still there. So, so, so athletes, some athletes might argue, you know, it doesn't matter if I, It doesn't matter if I um, binge, it doesn't matter if I overeat. And I would say if I'm really trying to fine tune your body as well as I possibly can for your upcoming performance, it does matter if you overeat because the incinerator and your body can only handle and process so much food at one time. If you eat beyond the point of fullness, regardless of whether it's fat, carbohydrate, protein, is your body utilizing uh, that fuel optimally? And I would argue, no, past a certain point, no, it's just storing it for later. And yes, we have glycogen storage, but we don't have protein storage, you know, and then we have fat storage. Mm-hmm. So that that gets to the point where, uh, where you might see me maybe even having an argument with an athlete, like, yes, you need it, but I want you, I want you to stop at this point. And if you're stopping at this point, then we're not storing it for later. And then we're have, having it at more optimal times that your body's going to burn and use it. Yeah. What about um, in regards to disorders? Um, and this isn't just obviously an athlete thing, but we do see it a lot in, in, in triathlon, but in other sports as well. Yeah. Eating disorders yeah. are a big problem for athletes, but also everyday people. So yeah, when, when someone has a, like, it's such a, I know that it's a pretty hard thing to talk about in a podcast interview, but how do you deal with some of the bigger eating disorders that you have to deal with? So I remind myself again, it, and I, and I don't mean this, um, uh, to sound disrespectful at all. Um, because I, my heart aches for anyone who has an eating disorder. Uh, it is technically um, and scientifically, you know, uh, diagnosed as, and, and categorized as a mental disorder, um, but it's also but so, I, so hard for for that problem, isn't it? Because if you're an alcoholic, you right, can give up alcohol. Exactly. You know, exactly. whereas eating disorders, you, you you need to eat. So you you exactly. you, you know, it's a really hard hurdle to overcome. It's very tricky. But I say this is the part I didn't want to be disrespectful about. I'm I'm fascinated by it because someone has someone has alcoholism for a reason. There's something that they need that alcoholism to cope with whatever it is that is um, very difficult and and unmanageable for them. Someone is, you know, addicted to substances uh, for the same reason, uh, because they're trying to cope with very difficult circumstances or a very difficult past or trauma past. It's the same thing with eating disorders. They have that because they need it. They're using that to ground themselves, you know, 
Um, them following, I'll give some examples um, very quickly of eating disorder behaviors, you know, um, not eating enough, keeping their calories under a certain level, um, that behavior grounds them. It calms them down. It soothes their anxiety. So before I can rip that away and say, oh my gosh, you're a triathlete and you're trying to stay under, for example, 1200 calories, you know, that's insane. You know, you're too thin and your performance, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I can't say yeah. your performance would be better and you need more calories and all those things because it's not rational to them. They're doing it to ground themselves and, and ease their anxiety. It's, it's more loaded than that, but you, yeah. but you understand what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. And so I have to help them understand, and we have to work together to understand why is this eating disorder there in the first place? Why do you need that grounding? And the reason eating disorders are so brilliant is because it provides immediate grounding. Mm -hmm. There is something so tangible about tracking your grams of macronutrients, tracking your calories, getting on the scale, even looking at your body and, it, and its body shape. That's very tangible. It is easier to, you know, control your body, watch your calories, watch what you're eating, restrict your food, um, and, and all the behaviors that go that with eating disorders. It's easier to do that than focus or deal with or wade through um, the abstractness of sadness that you might feel over a particular thing in your present life, in your past life, um, trauma, it's way easier, you know, if, and, and people don't really have the choice, they kind of fall into eating disorders, but, but given the choice of like tremendously hard, painful, excruciatingly painful work of trying to process the trauma and, you know, eating less than you need, oh my goodness, you would take eating less than you need mm. because mm. the emotional stuff is so hard. It's so, it's so painful. But we see, we see this in lots of areas. We even just see it in athletes and that um, one thing I often talk about with triathletes, at least I am in, is that um, you get a lot of reward from doing this thing, which is a crazy thing. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. for most people to go to a six hour bike ride would be uh, the biggest thing in their life. And triathletes, it's kind of what we do weekly. Um, and so you see a lot of triathletes who have very broken lives outside of triathlon uh, and that they just put all the energy into the thing that gives them the reward. Uh, without considering the damage that maybe it's doing in other areas of their life. And right. and and I was a good example of this. So like I woke up at 30 and I was doing Ironman and um and I was a very good athlete. But if you look two layers back, I had lots of problems in my life which are kind of being suppressed because I was just really good at this one thing over here. And the real yeah. work I needed to do on my myself at that time wasn't to try to be a faster athlete, it was to actually go, no, you've got to work on yourself over here. And it's yeah. kind of what you're saying is that people are using that nutrition thing as as a sense of control, a sense of identity, a sense of I'm doing well when the yes. real work needs to be done in other areas. Yeah. And that's, and that's hard. It takes, yeah. it takes a tremendous amount of courage um, and help to, to do that. Uh, Bevan, that's a great example. So I would say from your example, um, having all the success as a triathlete, that was your grounding. 
So you were having a hard time in these other areas, didn't even realize it because you felt so grounded in the athletic performance space. Mm, yeah, yeah. You felt so grounded. You felt so tethered. You felt so, you know, at one with yourself. Um, and then, and then the accolades that you get from that are also very grounding. Like I'm mm. doing fine. I'm doing fine. Um, yeah, yeah. that helps us. It distracts us, if you will, yeah, exactly. uh, from, from the other things. And, and that's what an eating disorder can do is distract you from the other things that are really going on. Well, and interestingly with, with, um, I, I do some speaking and one of the talks I do is around is how do you give up the thing you're great at to, to be suck at something else? Oh, you know what I mean? I would, I would, I would answer that question with a question. Do you have to? Well, in some ways you have to give up some aspect of it. You know, like when I was doing Ironman, I was doing 30 hours exercise a week. So I I couldn't maintain that lifestyle and, you know, give myself the time and energy actually to work on what I needed to work on. And so, so, you know, you you see it with the workaholic, you know, the workaholic is the person who, you know, what are they, they they workaholic. So they're really great in their career, but the advancement of their career is probably not their best development, you know, but how do you give up that thing you're really great at, especially if you've neglected every other year of your life? So it is, it becomes a really hard thing to do in life to actually compromise an area where you feel strong and successful to go into an area where you're really weak and vulnerable. Yeah. 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 Um, and I guess that comes down to, uh, oh, and this is so hard. It's so hard. Yeah. You know, what is, what is more valuable is the, is the success and, and, and it's very individual and very personal. I don't want to speak for, for anyone, but is the success uh, fulfilling enough or does, is there an aspect of the success in, in that area that you're great at? Is there an aspect of it that feels empty? Mm. Well, and this was my example. Cause I remember yeah. I had a day, it, it, it didn't feel empty. I did enjoy it. And don't get me wrong. It was, it was very valuable to no, me. Just a, just, a, just a teeny part, not yeah. totally empty, but but is it empty? And that's when you start, you know, asking yourself the question, but go ahead. Well, no, because then uh, at the moment where I decided to move away from my then was when I woke up and I realized, oh man, I'm, I've kind of got these other areas that are really, really out. The other areas in my life are very empty. And I was like, oh, this isn't a healthy life. I need to actually spend time developing those other areas. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a really interesting thing. Yeah. But, but it's a journey yeah. that it, it uh, everyone eventually needs to take. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We have to work on the hard stuff, and, don't we? And, and sometimes, and sometimes we don't, but I think to be fully um, self-actualized, if you will, yeah. you know, that's something that you need to look at, but it's hard. Go ahead. Do, do, do When you find people have been successful, like the one you've been working with, do they ever fully let go? Fully let go of me? No, not of you, of, of just that thing that held them in that place. Or was it more just about managing? Like, for example, my dad's an alcoholic. And um, I was a really bad drinker when I was a young man. And um, and the thing about being my so the difference between me and my father is my dad to this day will still think about drinking. But he gave up when I was like five. So he hasn't drank in like 40 years. But every day there's a bit of a battle. Okay. And, gotcha. and to me, that's alcoholism. Whereas I was yeah. a bad drunk, but once I gave up, I've never thought about it since. Yeah. You know, and I, and I imagine there was probably scales of this, but the people who you work with, what, what do you tend to find? 
There are absolutely scales. So, but I believe wholeheartedly with my whole soul that you can fully, fully recover from those behaviors mm-hmm. fully yep. and, and leave it behind. Um, and, and you will hear some people in the industry and, and you will hear some people who have recovered say it's about a life fight every day. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say that it doesn't need to be that you can, you can fully process. It takes work. It takes a lot of work. You can fully process the things that are holding that behavior there because the thing about the behaviors is as long as the need is there, the behavior will stay. The behavior has the opportunity to stick around as long as there's a need. If you fully process everything um, that you need to, yes, you can you can fully recover and and not have just a little bit of it in the back of your mind every day. One thing that's really important to add. It becomes part of your fabric. It's part of your story. It's part of your past. But totally, it's possible. Totally. And, and, and I think one thing that's really important to to add on that, because a, a lot of people will try to do it by themselves. And especially when you're in that kind of place where you are working through big problems like this, you need yeah. support and help, don't you? Yes, you do. You really do. Uh, it's difficult. I'm not going to say that it's impossible mm-hmm. uh, to do the the digging, the processing yourself. Gosh, is it uh, so much easier? When I say easier, I don't mean easy. Um, the journey is less lonely um, and feels more guided if you have support. Yeah. Wait, well, it's, well, it's like using a coach, isn't it? Like what a coach helps you do exactly. is avoid mistakes that you don't need to make. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And point out things. Um, and that's what I do with my client. You know, I, I'm often saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, put out some sentences here and, and you tell me if it resonates. So they haven't even articulated sometimes what they're feeling and what's going on. Um, I try to get them to come up with the words um, themselves, first of all, as much as I can, but, but it's hard. They don't, they don't immediately recognize what's going on or even how they're feeling. And so um, I can put some sentences out there, tell me if this resonates and then they feel guided like, Oh Yeah. That's exactly how I was feeling. I just didn't have the words for it. I just didn't know how to articulate it. Even in my own brain, I didn't I didn't have the skills to organize those thoughts in a way that will propel me forward on my journey. And now I do. That's exactly what a coach does. You're exactly right on. And, and, and wanting to write a book, what were your objectives? So in my work with my clients, I'm, I am a very visual learner and I'm a very visual teacher. Uh, I use my hands a lot, a ton of hand gestures. Uh, and, and so I wanted, it, it first started out, I wanted to create visuals for my clients. I wanted to have them have handouts to take home, to stick on their refrigerator and cupboards and bathroom mirrors and things like that (laughs) so that they could visualize what was going on in their body. It wasn't just this abstract concept. Hunger wasn't just this abstract concept. Um, They could visualize the incinerator. And I had these 
um, pointers to help them. And so it started out as just a bunch of handouts, you know, imagine your hunger this way, imagine your fullness this way. Um, here are some prompts. Um, the handouts ended up being just a ton of prompts. Here are some prompts to combine your protein and carbohydrate. Here's a way to think of your portion sizes. Uh, here are some questions to ask yourself if you're not sure what emotion you're feeling. And so the handout um, compilation just grew and grew and grew. And I wanted to reach a larger audience and I wanted to be able to explain. Obviously, I really love to talk. I love to talk way more than I like to write. Uh, and I wanted to be able to explain you know, all the handouts and everything that I was trying to say. Uh, and so I decided to put it in book form. All the handouts became part of the book, the charts, the graphs. Um, I feel like once someone sees some of those, some of those graphs, they're like, oh yeah, I get what you're trying to say. And even when I'm explaining it, um, in voice, I'm using my hands, you know, your blood sugar goes up and yeah, then it comes yeah. down. Here's how you can stabilize it. Uh, and, and so then it, it, it grew into a book. Oh, also, um, I wanted to write a book that was very friendly, very, uh, very lay person book. Um, I wanted people to feel like they were just sitting with me having a conversation, but I knew that everything I was saying was backed by research. I didn't want it to sound like a textbook, but it has 87 references in the back, but you would never know it. You're just listening to me chat. Okay. In the book. So, so, so in, in many ways, it's kind of like a nice reference to have in your life that you can use as you're living your day-to-day -day life to be able to move from someone who maybe needs to make some improvements around nutrition to making those places and making those choices so that you do wake up one day where it's just food is a part of my life in a really healthy way. Yes, exactly. It helps. It helps the person that is maybe having, you know, fast food every day, maybe overeating every day. It helps them bring that into balance, but it also helps the person who is um, really, really, really regimented and, and doesn't want to stay regimented, but doesn't know quite how to let go of that. It gives you some parameters to just let go and allow a little bit more so that yeah. You can do exactly what you were saying, Bevan. Live your life with food being in the background. Just, just, I always love to ask people who are experts, what's the part that you struggle with, with, with nutrition? Oh, that's, gosh, no one's ever asked me that. Um, part that I struggle with, with nutrition. Oh, I certainly don't want to say that I don't, <laughs> that I don't struggle. Uh but I really do try to practice what I preach. Okay. So I am always trying to eat when I'm hungry um, and stop when I'm full. Um, and I do a fairly good job of that. Um, there are times, absolutely, if I'm enjoying something that I overeat and it's uncomfortable, it doesn't feel good. It really doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. And when I do that, I don't, I don't beat myself up. I say, wow, that's really uncomfortable. I guess I went a little too far. I'm going to remember that um, the next time I'm hungry and going forward because I really um, don't enjoy that feeling. Um, I try to balance protein and carb um, every time I drink a ridiculous amount of water. Uh, but when it's something I really enjoy, um, and so, and for some people, this is just going to absolutely gross them out. I have friends that, that say, uh, 
that is elderly food uh, <laughs> that, you would, that you would only have in a nursing home. Um, I love tapioca pudding. I absolutely love tapioca pudding and I'm very picky about my tapioca pudding. And it is very hard for me to have a rational level of tapioca pudding. Um, I, love it. I love it so much that almost every time, unless I'm at a restaurant and they only give me one serving, uh, I love it so much that it's very difficult for me um, to not get overly full. And my, and my friends, my sweet friends that are amazing cooks uh, will make some for me on my birthday. And, oh, I overeat it every time, every time. Every time. Uh, uh, the name of the book is One Two Punch. Uh, where do people get it? So there are several options depending on what, where your listeners are. Um, if you are outside the United States, you can go to onetopunchbook.com and download an ebook yep. or uh, uh, there's a handout set that you could get. Um, if you are in the United States, you can get it on Amazon um, Prime um, you, or not Prime. You can also order the Kindle version. Um, as well as the audible and the audible, if you're interested and, and not turned off by this podcast is my voice. <laughs> and, and lastly, if people want to work with you, where would they go? Same, same place. Same website. Um, click on coaching and, and I'm doing all virtual appointments right now, uh, which is, which is open things up for me. Um, but I would love to work with you. I'm fascinated by your story. Whatever your story is, I'm already fascinated by it. <laughs> love you. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. You've been really interesting to talk to. And again, I'll put links to uh, onetwopunchbook.com on the show notes for the show. So thank you so much for your time. Bevan, thank you. It was a pleasure. So hopefully you got something from Claudia. Obviously she's pretty insightful and, and the conversation was basically kind of based around athletes and it was just one of those conversations that went everywhere. But um, I really, really enjoyed her book and I actually highly recommend it for people who think they struggle with weight management or just nutritional management in her life. And as I was saying before, I put the interview on, I thought I'd just give a quick overview of the book because I hadn't read the book before actually doing the interview and I really like what she's done because basically what she's saying is that our body has a great tool around when we should be eating and the great tool is what we call hunger <laughs> that ultimately we should be eating when we're hungry and instead of having these set plans and these set nutritional things that we should be doing this and that we just want to become really good at understanding where we're hungry and she talks about the different hormones that we have in our body and one's called ghrelin which is basically the, your body telling you that you are hungry and she talks about the incinerator the incinerator is kind of like your stomach getting ready to open up and ghrelin is telling you your, your stomach needs some food and then she talks about leptin and leptin is kind of the, the incinerator closing and it's basically telling you your body is full and her basic premise is is that ideally we want to become masters of understanding when we're hungry and using that as an indicator of when that's the time we should be feeding ourselves 
then we want to think about what we're using. And so she calls that aspect of it the burn process. They're kind of getting ready, responding to when your body is hungry, and then opening the accelerator and putting the right food. And then she talks about balance. And this is where this premise of the one-two puncher talks about. And she has this kind of cool measurement tool of just using your fist to use the right amount of carbohydrate and protein, and then just kind of vegetables alongside that to help you balance the right amount of food to make sure that when the burn process is open, when you're actually you're responding to being hungry, you're filling it up with the right type of food that's actually going to help to let them come along and make you feel full for the right period of time. Uh, ultimately, then what you do is you kind of once you've eaten, you just kind of wait to the next moment you're hungry, and then you're just responding to life like this. And she ultimately talks about the third. So she says, burn, balance, and become. And become is practicing this process because for a lot of people, they may not have even experienced hunger in a while. Uh, she also talks a lot about emotional eating. She gives you tools around all this stuff. So there's just a real deep thought to learning to practice just to respond to hunger in a way to use it as a trigger to eat and then to respond to with the food you're using or the amount of food you're using in a way that makes you balance your life really well. It's a really simple formula that you kind of read and you go, you know what? I can do this. So if you are somebody who's struggling with weight or you are struggling just with food in your life it might not even be weight you may be just emotionally eat or you're slightly dissatisfied with you know your nutritional choices uh, i really like this because a it's back to science b it's simple and believable and achievable and i think when it comes to behavior change that's a really important thing so if you want to get her book the the website is one two punch book.com and i'll put a link to it in the show notes under bevan james Isles, so you can check that out there Anyway, team, I'm going to wrap up today's show. Uh, thank you so much for your time. It's, uh, I want to say a big thank you to the patrons. If you are a patron, please go to... Bevan, oh, if you're not a patron, go to Bevan James Isles. Podcast, support me and go through the process. Uh, write a review about the podcast. Send, tell other people about the podcast. I'll be back in 2021. Let's be honest, 2020 has been a fascinating year. A year that will be talked about for a very long time. You know, when you think of... This year, this year and 100 years from now, will still be talked about and uh, for a pretty significant reason. And we have lived through it. And uh, lots of people have had some pretty horrific things happen because of this year. Um, and I just want to send my love and heart out to those people. And for the rest of us, or just for everyone, just let's move forward in a way that you know makes life better, whatever that means to you. Uh, thank you for being a listener of the show 200 episodes is pretty cool uh, and thank you for all the support you've given me over the years so anyway I'll see you in 2021 or you may even have already got this in 2021 again I recorded this before Christmas but I'll see you in the next episode soon as always keep being you and I'll see you soon bye